Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Tammy Wynn, a multimedia artist whose work spans painting, drawing, printmaking, and bookmaking. Intersecting geopolitical realities with fiction, her practice addresses lesser-known histories through a blend of myth and visual narrative. She is the founder of Passenger Pigeon Press, an independent press that joins the work of scientists, journalists, creative writers, and artists to create politically nuanced and cross-disciplinary projects. Born in San Francisco, Tammy received a BFA from Cooper Union. The following year, she received a Fulbright scholarship to study lacquer painting in Vietnam, where she remained and worked with a ceramics company for three years thereafter. She received an MFA from Yale and was awarded the Van Leer Fellowship at Wave Hill and an NYFA Fellowship in Painting. She was included in Greater New York 2021 at MoMA PS1 and has also exhibited at the Schmack Mellon, the Rubin Museum, the Factory Contemporary Arts Center in Vietnam, and the Bronx Museum, among others. Her work is included in the collections of Yale University, the Philadelphia Museum of Art, MIT Library, the Seattle Art Museum, the Walker Art Center Library, and the Museum of Modern Art Library, among others. She is an assistant professor of art at Wesleyan University and represented by Lehman Maupin in New York and Seoul and London. Enjoy this episode featuring multimedia artist Tammy Wynn. Tammy, welcome to my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I am delighted to feature you. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, When did you discover your artistic passion? Gosh, I don't know. I think, you know, when I was, as early as I can remember being able to pick up any drawing tool, pencil, crayon, or whatever, I think I was pretty smitten with materiality and drawing and painting and everything. So as early as I can remember. Do you remember the first work of art or artist that really impacted you? You know, when I was in the third grade, I did a book report on um, Vincent van Gogh. And um, that was really fun for me because we made books about different people as a class, you know, so I picked Vincent van Gogh, but then the product ended up being like a little book. Um, And, you know, at that time, I didn't know that my artistic practice was going to 
involve artist bookmaking, but that is an early memory that was, uh, you know, very vivid for me. I remember, um, you know, drawing um, a picture of Vincent van Gogh and trying to get uh, waxy crayons to blend together as smoothly as possible so that I could create the complexion on his face. <laughs> yeah, that's a little intense, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because, you know, you really have to, like, fight the tooth of the paper to get it perfectly smooth, you know. So I remember kind of obsessing over that, scratching away bits and pieces of crayon and then putting more on. And, and you know, those types of things were always really pleasurable for me. At such a young age, wow. How, how would you define your practice? Um, you know, I, I think that I am a multimedia artist. I think that I am a narrative-based artist as well. I think that I am an artist who's also interested in research as much as I am interested in um, fiction. Are there concepts or thoughts that connect your work? You know, I think for the last few years, I have been playing around with this word um, confusion a lot. And confusion is kind of like an overarching pursuit or philosophy um, that I tend to fit subjects into. So, for example, you know, for the last several years, I've been very um, interested in different ways that flags are used and ships move in the water. Um, a few years ago, I did a project at VCU um, about the flags of convenience, which is a practice that happens in trading ships where flags of, of a nation would be flown that doesn't represent the nation of the ship's origins, right? And this is a practice that is used to sort of take advantages of different um, kind of tax laws, right? So for example, many ships around the world are registered under the Panamanian flag despite having a different um, national origin. So that kind of a situation is really exciting to me. For the last year, you know, I've been working with a lot of Christian imagery that is, you know, I'm very common, but the particular set of Christian imagery that I was really inspired by was a set of statues depicting Stations of the Cross that I got to see when I visited Tulao Galem, which was um, a former Vietnamese refugee island. And I was really struck by how prominent the statues were and also how much I could imagine they provided a sense of salvation for folks who were on the island waiting to um, seek refuge elsewhere away from their home. I became really interested in exploring sort of the legacy of Catholicism in Vietnam and just the sort of the intense contradiction of Catholicism being implemented through several colonial campaigns in Vietnam. And yet here on this refugee island, it in turn provides a sense of hope. So that is another circumstance of confusion that I'm really interested in as well. You're obviously are very fulfilled as an artist. So I'm curious, if you weren't a visual artist, what other career path do you think you would have taken? 
Well, you know, I, I, I think that I would really love, I mean, I do love writing in a way. I, I, I do have a, a, a book coming out in September that I, that is being published by Ugly Duckling Press. And, you know, when I was growing up, I really loved English class. I just loved it so much. And I think, you know, I, I had an English teacher who um, in high school taught me this book called the Spoon River Anthology. And it's uh, basically a book that is um, constructed through a variety of epitaphs. Um, and as you read through the epitaphs, you learn about the people in this, in this town and how they were related to each other. Right. And that was such a sort of profound way of playing with language and book structure. And it was also such a meaningful way to make symbolism become ever so powerful. One thing didn't just represent another thing, but instead one thing could represent many things that could move and change and everything. And that's just what I kind of remember from reading that, that book in class. I guess that if I couldn't be a visual artist, then I would want to maybe dedicate more time in my life to playing with words. What passion do you find in creating art? Um, I think, so going back to this idea of like confusion and creating tension, right? And also, I guess it's kind of related to what I just said about the power of, of, of language and, and sort of my, my, my early days in learning English and things like that. Um, I just, I think what I'm really excited by is how something that someone creates or something that I create can just kind of make someone else tickle, whether it's um, being tickled by a set of, I don't know, ethical contradictions or being tickled by, you know, um, two different colors vibrating with such, such tension, you know, like, or maybe, maybe there is some kind of an image that is constructed in such a way that can inspire an audience to see differently about a certain subject. I think that's so crazy awesome that a visual work of art can, can, can do something like that. I also love that it occurs oftentimes in the solitude of observation. And um, I think that's just really powerful. It's almost sublime or spiritual. And, and that I just think just, just excites me and in, and in a way offers me a sense of, you know, internal salvation. So when you're creating, do you think often about who your audience is and how they feel? Um, yes and no. You know, like I think that sometimes I think about how, like, for example, in a painting, I am imagining the sort of the visual footsteps that someone might take to navigate the painting. So for sure, um, if I am working on an artist book, I'm thinking a little bit about how one might navigate the reading space. So if an artist book has multiple spines, well, 
what does the order of opening those different signs mean in, in relationship to the story and then in, in relationship to how the experience might be felt, right? Um, so in that way, I am thinking about the audience. I'm also, you know, I'm interested in how like a work of art or a body of work engages with audiences of different locales, like how my work is perceived in, you know, say um, Berlin, for example, right? Like I'm in the Berlin Biennial right now. And, you know, how how is the work being embraced by the different wealths of knowledges of the people who happen to be there, right? That's going to be a different demographic of people that, you know, that are in, say, Saigon, right? Or maybe in um, San Francisco, where I was born and raised. So I'm interested in that, but I don't think that I'm changing the work for that particular locale. I'm more just excited about how folks from those different places would enter the work or not enter the work at all. Let's talk about Passenger Pigeon Press. Yeah. Yeah. Where did that idea come from? (laughs) Well, so Passenger Pigeon Press was created in 2016. And, you know, I've been making artist books for a pretty long time. I loved making artist books after you know, after a class I took at the Cooper Union where I did my undergrad with Margaret Morton. It was an an artist bookmaking class. And um, at that time, I had sort of like gone through all of the different printmaking classes. So I already was in love with every single medium for its different um, assets and everything. And um, because I was already interested in narrative, um, after I learned how to construct a book, I mean, I just think that my brain just cracked open, you know. <laughs> but 2016, it was a year after I had completed a pretty important residency in terms of like the arc of my development as an artist. I was just um, a resident at the Center for Book Arts. And um, there I learned how to do letterpress printing. Um, And more importantly, I learned how to edition books, which in the book before this point in time, most of the books, maybe all of the books that I made were more or less unique objects. And at the Center for Book Arts, I was just picking up so many skills in thinking about how to be, how to make work in mass numbers, you know, so how to set up a workstation so that I could edition like, you know, 10 hardcover books, for example, or 20 boxes and things like that. And that way of thinking really transformed how I thought about the artist book. And then ultimately how I thought about the power of numbers, you know, like the, the, the ability to be able to make something and to distribute it because you have more changes how the artist book is engaged with the world, right? It's very different than going to, um, you know, say an art show and looking at it in the vitrine or in a special collections, right? Mm-hmm. And I think at the time, I was also at another sort of conceptual juncture in that my work had, for the first time, used political material in a very explicit way. At the time, I was working with this military document that I had found in an old Vietnamese bookstore 
from 1969. And it was a plan to modernize Vietnam um, for, for the United States to modernize the center, central part of Vietnam. And um, it was something that I was incorporating into my paintings and something that I was incorporating into another sort of unique artist book. But I felt that by the end of making that, I needed this material to travel in a more democratic way. I felt that the medium of painting and fine artist books was not appropriate for how important I thought this content was. And also I felt that this content needed some kind of a, a cloak that was a little bit more humble, you know? And so then I kind of um, conceptualized Passenger Pigeon Press. Um, and the main project of Passenger Pigeon Press is Martha's Quarterly which is a quarterly subscription of artist books. They're not, they're like, I don't know, they're a little bit on the zine side of artist books, but maybe with a little bit more finesse. And um, what they do every season of the year is they arrive in your mail and they're always connecting together disparate subjects. Um, I try to collaborate with scientists and poets and policy folks and people working in law, people working in, you know, all sorts of, you know, different disciplines that, um, that, that, that strike me, um, in that season, you know? Um, and then when I bring the materials together, um, I try to find a way, um, to create an inventive and experimental reading experience. So for example, some of the artist books um, use a concertina form. And so with the concertina form, as you kind of expand the book, there might be hidden pockets inside where you'll pull out cards or pictures. Um, I use a lot of, you know, um, print on demand or like promotional online tools. Like for example, I've made like stickers and, um, toys and stuff like that. And, uh, um, we, I've used things like, uh, Velcro or magnets and rubber bands to sort of make the reading experience lively and full of surprise. All the while the content is, you know, kind of trying to express something that is unique and, and, and sometimes urgent. Not all the time, but sometimes urgent. When you approach a canvas, you, you, your work is both abstract and figurative. At what point do you know what direction you're going to go in? Yeah, that's such a great question and a complicated question. I don't know if I pick a direction, um, but let's go back to this theme of confusion again. I'm really interested in how the form of my subjects also inspire confusion. And the thing about confusion that I'm so excited about is that you don't know what you, you are looking at. You don't know what you're reading. I mean, confusion in real life is kind of a frustrating space to be in, right? Because you're like, which way do I go? You know, which, you know, which, where is my moral compass? What is right from wrong? What is right from left, right? So there's this, there's this tension in that intersection. And this relates to how I'm thinking about form in my painting in that 
I try to confuse the space between figure and foreground, which I think that's why some paintings end up leaning towards, say, a sort of abstract vegetative space or maybe a very shallow space. Maybe you're looking at something that almost seems like a field of grass, right? And then there's other paintings where the figure is much more prominent, but the figure is simultaneously the mountain or the water or whatever, you know? And then there's other moments where, you know, I, I feel like I've used this so many times, but where leaf is eyeball, you know, or where, you know, a hand is a sprout or a, um, a butterfly is a helicopter, right? So these shifting sort of conceptual, conceptual circumstances where um, the scale is completely confused. A helicopter is the same size as a mosquito. You know, a statue of, of say, Jesus, for example, um, is actually filled in with the night sky. Um, those are two totally different ideas of space and air. And, you know, how can a statue that's made out of stone be filled with the night sky, right? You know, those types of contradictions and those types of, you know, um, I don't know, say confusion inducing spaces are extraordinary to me to play with. That's great. Um, so what, what are you excited about right now? Well, right now I am starting a new body of work inspired by Dante's Divine Comedy. And I am, you know, I'm very, I'm like at the beginning of this. And what I'm trying to do in this next body of work is, you know, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about Dante and Virgil's descent into hell. I'm thinking about Virgil as being this character who was, living in a time where, you know, Christianity is on the horizon. So there's a little bit of a shift, sort of like ideologies are about to make a, a major turn. You know, um, your sense of uh, morality is about to take a turn. Your sense of faith is about to take a turn. So I, I am very excited to think about this moment. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make an analogy between this descent to the ascent into space. So up is down. And also the speed is really different. What we feel from the speed of a rocket ship entering orbit is extremely different from how we read Dante and Virgil's slow descent into hell, right? So I'm trying to play with those ideas. Um, at the moment, I mean, I don't, I'm only just drawing and doing some mark making right now, but I, I don't in my heart know how to create like an industrial material in my work. Like, I don't know how to like, I don't know what like a car, for example, means in my world. Like I've never really created those kinds of images before. And um, while I was in Venice just recently over the summer, I um, was able to see some old um, medieval works of art where there was a lot of sort of like complicated ways to render, say, for example, the halo around a saint or something like that, where the use of tooling allowed gilded areas to have a certain volume. And so what I'm doing in a few weeks um, is I'm going to the North Bennett School to take an intensive 
on tooling on leather, which is, you know, a fine binding technique. Um, a lot of the techniques that I use in my paintings come from book binding. And so I'm excited to, to sort of explore how the use of tooling and gilding can help me form um, industrially made materials in the hopes that I will create my way of saying spaceship. What does your workspace um, look and feel like? So I live in uh, Eastern Connecticut. And if you've never been here, um, you should come and, you know, pick apples and visit <laughs> the different farms and everything. It's a very bucolic space. And I uh, live on a property where there is a house, a small house from 1810, and about 200 steps away from this old brown house is a big red barn. <laughs> and that is my studio. Um, it's, um, it's a really beautiful, verdant, or very kind of snow white space to work in. And um, my workspace um, is, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of natural light coming in. And I always work on my paintings flat. And so there's always like a whole bunch of sawhorses um, splayed out around with like boards and stuff like that. And on top of them are my paintings, um, you know, so there's just like a lot of surfaces to work on. Some of them are really large and some of them are super, super small. Um, and yeah, that's where, that's where that happens. Um, and then I also make um, a lot of my zines and my artist books at Wesleyan University, where I'm super lucky to be um, a professor of art, where I teach printmaking and book arts. Um, so there's another space up there where, you know, I've got like too many scraps to even think about right now, but scraps of paper and pieces of type and silkscreen and lithography. Um, and I, I do a lot of my paper, works on paper up there too. This has been a great conversation and this is our last Oh my question. gosh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I tell you, I've been fascinated throughout. I'm like, oh my God. So wh what do you feel is the purpose of art and what is your role? What is the purpose of art? Um, well, my role is to make art. <laughs> that that was easy. Um, but what is the purpose of art? You know, I've said this a few times, but this, you know, more and more I'm I'm taking more seriously this this idea of like spiritual wealth, you know, and this idea that art can offer a, a certain space for salvation and solace. And um I think that in those moments, um, the viewer can experience a variety of things. Art can be entertaining and seductive and persuasive and offensive. And, but all those spaces are spaces of one's mind. You know, of course, we talk about art, but when we go and look at art, it enters our minds and enters, you know, our, our, our inner selves. And I think that that is a space that, deserves so much attention, especially in this time. And I think that through the sort of, you know, the, the world symphony of all this art happening, um, I, I think that it can serve the role of, of sort of providing audiences with, with something, you know, 
more than inspiring, but something that could be just new to see. And this sense of the new, I'm thinking about it as a sense of be feeling like you are alive, you know, and whatever that means on the spectrum of how the art is affecting you is extremely um, vast. (laughs) But I just think that this kind of relationship with art, the ability to be able to, to sort of just have a little bit of that tickle inside of you is, is extraordinary right now. Um, the possibility to slow down, I think, is also really important and really urgent right now as well. Um, so, yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. Yeah, art, art will save us. Thank you so much for your time, Tammy. It's been a great conversation. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure speaking to you. I'm super happy that you reached out and that we made this happen. Yes. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. Instagram.